Welcome to the Lonnie Swain Show podcast, a top-rated weekly podcast providing support for the struggles, celebrating the successes, and sharing the personal and professional development stories of women of color. It's inspiring and insightful conversations with sheroes who want to share their experiences to help other women's outcomes. Hosted by me, media veteran and content creator, Lonnie Swain. The purpose of this show is to remind you that everyone has to go through something to get somewhere. Thank you so much for listening. I love and appreciate your feedback, so don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. Now let's get into the show. All right, on today's episode, I have the personification of beauty and brains, Miss Natalie King joining us. She is a doctor of neuroscience, a fashion model, speaker, medical affairs professional, and healthcare provider. She earned her PhD at the age of 26 studying the complex interplay of brain pathology in depression, suicide, and autism. Natalie's inspirational journey is centered around family, purpose, and curiosity, and she's passionate about teaching others that they can truly be anything they want to be in life. The youngest to ever receive her degree from the University of Illinois, Chicago, and the very first Afro-Latina, Natalie embraces her uniqueness as a woman of color and strives to pave the way for other women and girls to achieve their dreams in the STEM fields. Serving as an advisory member of the Girls for Science Mentorship Program in Chicago and Black Girls Do STEM in St. Louis, both groups empower young girls to pursue careers in these hard technical fields. Finally, as a brain health expert, STEM advocate, and soon-to-be social entrepreneur in the tech arena, she loves to speak on topics related to leadership, self-esteem, resiliency, and health. Natalie, welcome to the Lonnie Swain Show podcast. Hi, Lonnie. I swear I had to, like, clutch my own pearls when you were reading that. Who is <laughs> 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 <was> a person? <laughs> yes, it is uh, you. Amazing woman. That's why we have you on here because we were talking offline and I was serious. And I was like, because more people need to know about you, Natalie. And I'm so serious because you are awesome. You're doing amazing things in the world, especially representing for the Afro Latinas and women of color. And and we all need to celebrate you because there are so many of us, great women doing great things, and we don't get the shine that I feel like we deserve. And that's why this podcast is here to shine the Absolutely. light. <laughs> so Absolutely. we celebrate you so here, much. honey. Yes, thank <laughs> you. And so to get into things, I mean, reading your bio, you have already accomplished so much in your 32 years of living. I want to know, did you decide as a child, like, I'm going to be a neuroscientist, a fashion model, a speaker, a medical, no. or, <laughs> or what did you think you were going to be? Okay, so first of all, I was definitely one of those kids that if you asked me that same question year after year, what do you want to be when you grow up? I probably had a different answer. Okay. <laughs> definitely not loyal. Uh-huh. <laughs> not loyal uh-huh. to anything. Um, and, but I always knew I kind of wanted to be in some position of, um, I guess you'd say great impact or power. And I, of course I couldn't describe it as that then in my, you know, my kitty years, so to speak. Right. But I realized looking back now, of course, hindsight is always twenty twenty. I kind of always wanted to be in a position where I could really make big decisions and, you know, impact like people's lives, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to be a leader and a boss. Gotcha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, 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 right. <laughs> 
I was trying not to say it like that, but you know, right. Um, we read between the lines. <laughs> and I don't know where, to be honest, I have no clue where that comes from, but it, it is what it is. Yeah, um, innate, your natural born leader. It, I, I guess so. And I have to thank God for that one. But um, yeah. definitely how I landed upon, you know, actually choosing neuroscience and then finding ways to incorporate the modeling and and some of the other things I've done, it was actually a really hard journey because now I mean, people look on Instagram now and it's like the biggest, coolest thing to be this multifaceted individual. And I'm a model and I'm also a scientist. Like it's big now. But mm-hmm. when I was going through it and I would say the early, I got into grad school in 2007, I almost got kicked out for being that multifaceted person. What? Um, yes. They didn't look at it as like amazing then. It was like, oh, this person is very unfocused. She doesn't know what she wants to do. And mm. it wasn't until I did those things and I was able to do them simultaneously that people come around and say, oh, I always knew you could do it. You know those people, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, of <laughs> like, course. Like, oh. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those <laughs> so bandwagon all, jumpers. Yes, yes. <laughs> so it all, it all happened rather unceremoniously. I had to fight through it all. I ended up taking time out of grad school to kind of reevaluate my life according to the directive that I was given and come back kind of stronger than ever in terms of conviction of wanting to do both. It was really a journey to be able to say, I definitely want to be a neuroscientist and I also want to be in the fashion and and modeling space. Mm -hmm. Very high. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And now with saying that, and you said that you were like kicked out. So was this the school administration that had a problem with it and thought that you were unfocused? And how was your family in terms of supporting your goals and dreams? So it was a little of both, right? You know, like I come from a Caribbean family. So there, you know, either you're going to be a doctor, a lawyer, or a teacher. There are no other career. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. Definitely (laughs) not anything creative. (laughs) Oh, no. Like that's not a real thing to them. Mm-hmm. And you need so, a real job. A real job, a real one that brings in checks. And I was like, okay, I get, I get it. Uh-huh. Um, and, and so through college, I definitely kind of struggled through being able to choose that as a real career field because it wasn't seen as something that would be lucrative. So I did focus on sciences in, in undergrad. And then, of course, going to grad school, the whole purpose was to you know continue on that journey. But at the same time, in the back of my mind, it was always like this nagging pull. Like, I want to go into fashion and modeling. I want to be able to do something in the creative space. How do I merge these two? And it, like I said, it just wasn't visible like it is today. And so yeah. I was getting that personal feedback of, okay, you really got to choose something that's going to you know make sense. And mm-hmm. then from the school perspective, I remember going to the lab. So here I am doing these lab experiments. I was working in a, a radiation kind of lab too at the same time. So it was very serious technical stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm going to bring a magazine to school just so <laughs> I'm going to read it during my break. And that'll be my downtime. So I kind of looked at it as my escape time. And my particular lab instructor at the time, my PI at the time, saw this lab mag, this fashion magazine and like really got in his feelings about it. Mm. <laughs> but, what is this? And like he reported back to um, our leadership in terms of the program that I was in you know, saying, I don't think she's serious. And, you know, just, it went to this big thing. And so the the directive that I got, it wasn't a, you got to leave. It was more of a, we think you should Mm. take some time, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, poised under, this is your decision, not ours. Uh Um, And 
given I was barely, I think I was barely 20 at the time, I got to grad school fairly early. I, you know, I was still under that level of impression that I couldn't really make my own decisions. I didn't really yeah. know. You know what I'm saying? So you're, you're very impressionable still going to grad school that early. And yeah. so, I, so I did that. So I essentially lost almost half a year of just me, quote unquote, trying to figure my life out when I already knew what I wanted my life to be. But yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, so it was a little bit of both to answer your question. And so now then my next follow up question, what were your grades looking like? You know, were you performing well in these labs and in your classes? Yeah. So that was the other thing. In grad school, you have to, at least on the science side, I'm not sure how it is for other um for other programs, but in our programs, you cannot fall below a 3.0. So you can't have below a certain degree to be able to stay in grad school at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's some of the reason why the attrition rate is pretty high because these classes, you know, they can be pretty difficult. Mm -hmm. um, Some of them anyway. And Mm -hmm. um, so my grads, my grades are fine. I remember going through this actually at the same time, one class in particular that it can be really tricky for grad school. So you know how college Mm -hmm. is very, you study, you're going to get a good grade. It's very (laughs) straightforward, should we say. And my particular program, at least with this class, I felt like there were only, I remember there were only three assignments for the entire semester. So there were two. Wow. Yeah. Pressure. So you, (laughs) oh, the pressure is real. So Uh it's like you, you make it or you don't, right? And I remember struggling to figure out, okay, is this, question or is this test going to be about concepts or is it going to be about details and I remember flipping those two around on just not realizing what I was going to expect and so I studied for this first test by concept and it turned out to be details and then the Mm. next test I studied for details and it turned out to be concepts and so it was just like that was my worst grade in grad school and I was forever trying to get my life together after that I think I got a D in that class (laughs) would you imagine But look, Um, the thing about it is I ask that not to say that you weren't doing well, but just to say that, number one, grad school in any program is difficult from all that I've heard. I haven't attended grad school, but to say that you weren't serious and you were performing above the retention right. GPA requirement, you know, even right. getting a D in a class. So obviously you had to be killing <laughs> right. it in some other classes. You know what I'm saying? That is right, just like right. thinking back on, you know, the, the logic of these naysayers of, you know, who right. are saying like, you're not serious. It's like, okay, well, the receipts dictate otherwise. The receipts be well, in my grades and my performance. Absolutely. So. absolutely. And you know, you know what it is looking back now on one there's two parts of that question that I think I'd follow up on there's the idea of knowing that you can do the work and and trying to like push back against the messages that you're receiving and how that plays a role into just how you maneuver in general right people are always going to be there to say you know you can't do this you can't do that whatever but if you're performing like you said or you know if you know that you can do the work it really doesn't matter what people have to say about you. So that's probably the biggest lesson that I got Mm -hmm. from that point in time. And then the second part, honestly, has to do with, and I actually wrote a a book on this. It was like an e-book. I wrote it in 2013. Um, It's on Amazon. Give us the title. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's called (laughs) The Ultimate Graduate School Survival Guide. 
Um, mm-hmm. It's like a tips and skills type book. Love and, it. Yeah, yeah, and I wrote it at that time because of this major factor that I'm about to mention. I think most people get hung up on the fact that whether it's grad school, med school, any type, to be honest, any type of school, and they get hung up on the aspect of the technical side of it. Yes, mm-hmm. all of those schools are challenging. Their their work, their you know, you have all these activities, so many things to do. But to at least for me, I found the hardest thing about grad school to be handling the pressures of what people have to say about you, whether that's mm-hmm. from stereotype or otherwise. Like mm-hmm. grad school was easy compared to dealing with the internal dialogue that I had to go through and some external, as we discussed, yeah. mm-hmm. um, you know, of what people have to say about you and what they think about you being a woman of color or a person of color in grad school. You know, mm-hmm. those things are very real. Everybody is not okay with mm-hmm. having that level of progression in a field and you have to be able to work with that. And I think that to me was harder than the schoolwork sometimes. Mm-hmm. And which I was going to get into that, too. Do you feel that being a woman of color also contributed to those opinions that you were not serious or that you did not, quote unquote, belong there potentially? Absolutely. And I, and I would never go and say that anyone at that school is particularly racist or anything crazy. Like I wouldn't go to that level of um, distinction. But I will say it's when and we know this for any field. Mm-hmm. As women of color, as people of color, we always have to do 10 times as much mm-hmm. <laughs> to be seen as serious and intelligent and whatever other, you know, additives you want to attach to us, to ourselves. And it's just, it's unfortunately the name of the game. Mm-hmm. And so when you're doing anything to take away from that, it's like you have to work twice or three times as hard just to make up for it. So I absolutely do think that that played some role, even if it was minor, it definitely played some role in in them forming thoughts about what they thought I was doing at the time and whether or not they thought it was was necessary for me to be doing that while also in grad school. Mm -hmm. And now we didn't cover this part, but like how many other or were there any other women of color in your program at that time? So there was the larger neuroscience program, but that included both pure neuroscience PhDs, which is what I was. And then it also included the MD PhDs who, you know, students who were getting both of their degrees back to back. And in that program, there actually was another uh, African-American woman. We were going through the PhD portion of our programs at the same time, but she also had the MD portions flanked. So she was there a little bit longer than I was, and she had come in a little bit earlier than I did. So yes, there was another person in the MD-PhD program. And then I actually came in with another student. We were in the same program, and she was lost to attrition. And that's another thing, right? It's like there's so many other things that happen while in grad school, you know, based on even what I just said, dealing with those, you know, that internal dialogue, that kind of lend to why people drop out. Like it's not, it's not always mm-hmm. just the school work. It's, it's the, the things you have to deal with, the opinion, opinions you have to deal with, the environment, you know, it's not an HBCU sometimes unless you're going to a, a grad school or med school that happens to have a predominantly black population. There's a mm-hmm. lot of extra things you deal with. So yeah, there were a couple others, um, whether they were pure African-American or African-American Caucasian, like there were various, you know, mixes and that sort of thing. But we were a part of a cohort that was just 
starting. So the, it was a, a minority program or a bridge program, as they called it, that was just starting. And so there weren't, we were the ones that were in, say, integrating the program in many ways. Well, that's awesome that you were integrating the program and being part of hopefully what incited some change in that aspect. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's crazy to say that we're talking about this in 2019. It's like, are we really still integrating programs? But that's just the reality. You know, mm-hmm. it's, there are the resources are there, but do, you know, do our people know that they exist is one question. Do they know that they too can go into these STEM careers on scholarship? I was on scholarship the entire time I was in grad school. That's a quarter million dollars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Which people is awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, but, you know, they assume that these, these, these things you, um, you have to come out of your own pocket for. And, you know, based on how you do, you know, academically, you can receive very good resources. And so I think that's why I always beat that drumbeat of, all right, you got to do the work. Sure. Mm-hmm. Once you do the work, there are definitely resources out here specifically for you because most of these programs don't have enough of you. Yeah, <laughs> you for know? sure. And that's the thing that is so crazy to me that, you know, we have Google and everybody has a smartphone, but mm-hmm. people still don't know so much about a lot of things that they claim to want to know about. You know, when it's like, oh, I want to oh, get yeah. into grad school, but I don't know how to afford it. Well, you know, there's opportunities to look into it. And that's where I say people need to know more about you to be a resource to share this information so that they can be put on to certain things that they may not have looked up or found out about on their own. If there are people that are listening that have similar interests and aspirations. No, absolutely. And I think so there's one thing about me wrapped up into that comment that you just made that I think may bring more clarity, but then there's also the side of, okay, how do you find some of those resources, right? So mm-hmm. the first part I would say about me is if there is something that I want to do, I'm going to figure it out. I don't yes. know how. The how, is, the how is totally irrelevant to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's more like I know it's out there. If I see someone else doing it, then I know it's possible. So I'm right. gonna go, even if I have to go cold email and stalk them on LinkedIn to find out how they did it, I will do exactly. that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? So By any means necessary. Life. Any means necessary. Within, within legal, you know. <laughs> right, of course. <laughs> within legal landscape. But, but, you know, but the idea is, especially today, like the walls and the barriers are so much less than they were that it's really hard for me to understand how some people don't like you said don't find the information that they're looking for you really you really almost have to try not to these days right Um, right (laughs) or make no effort at all zero effort um you know i will intersect someone at a program real fast you know Mm -hmm. if i see that i've emailed them twice and maybe they're incredibly busy, but I see that they're going to be maybe at a talk coming up on Thursday. Trust and believe I'm at that talk on Thursday mm-hmm. to be able to, you get what I'm saying? So it's just finding other ways and being kind of um, clever about it. Yeah, um, and proactive. Absolutely. Taking absolutely. initiative. And, and that brings me, um, this is like kind of a sidebar conversation. I was speaking mm-hmm. with someone recently and they told me, hey, you know, I would reached out to this person and they didn't respond to me um, and I don't know what I should do and this and that. And I said, you reached out to them one time and you given <laughs> up already? 
Right, right. Uh, People are busy and your priorities are not their priorities. And so you're asking them something that is not their priority. They've got a million and one things on their plate. I'm more than sure they are not avoiding you because they Mm -mm. didn't respond to your one email. And their response was, well, I don't want to be a pest. What? After one email, you are not going to be a pest. I guarantee it. (laughs) And I said, and if it gets to the point where you're becoming a pest, I'm sure they will clarify that if if need be. But you know, right. give it a second email. And so I think that that can also kind of go into maybe what you're saying and, and confirming like, okay, I sent two emails. I know you're going to be somewhere. I'm showing up there. And it's about, you know, and what I did even say to this person, it was like, if you send a couple of emails and follow up, I don't think it's saying that you're a pest. I think it's saying that you're persistent. I think it's saying that you're serious about what it is you're trying to talk about. I think it's saying that you're hungry, that you're interested, that you're passionate, that you're curious, that you're a go-getter. You know, more positive things is what I feel is saying about you than negative. Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's certain parts of that that I think could be teased out. Now, of course, if we were to dissect that email, what does the e- email actually say and how, how, what's the approach in the email? Of course, mm-hmm. that's a separate conversation. <laughs> right. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because some people don't really know how to ask for things properly. It's more like you're leading with this expectation or you're leading with um, a sense of entitlement. And that, that could be really challenging when people are, you know, or you're trying to ask people for help mm-hmm. um, or guidance on certain topics, but that's another conversation. But to your point, Absolutely. I probably have like 50,000 people mad at me right now (laughs) (laughs) based on this whole conversation, because it's like, you don't want to tell people, or it's really hard to describe to people how, you know, how busy you may be. And it's, it's, I think it's like a buzzword today. Everybody's busy. Everybody's doing this. Everybody's doing that. But there are some people who are legitimately like, like they're busy, like, you know, they manage the whole territory, whether they're in the global role or not, or, Mm -hmm. you know, depending on the level of, um, you know, uh, the the occupation or whatever this person is you're trying to reach, you have to really assess just how truly busy they may be. Mm -hmm. And I think there, like you, I agree. There is a level that persistence plays into the picture of whether or not you get a response. I've had so many emails, where I've reached out to people who eventually became my mentor, but it took a little while because it either took them time to write back or we just couldn't get on the same page with schedules or whatever. But the point was they saw that I was incredibly persistent about certain things and like mm-hmm. it's whatever and in whatever way I could interact with them, that's what I chose to do. So it may not have gone from zero to 60 where, all right, I email you today and next week we're hanging out. No, yeah. it may have been... I email you today, I email you next week, I email you next month, and then by the time we actually get a chance to interact, it's a 15-minute phone call. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Like you have mm-hmm. to go in levels and determine how badly you want to communicate with this person and then figure out, all right, if we can't go for a whole hour lunch, what is what can we do? What, you know, mm-hmm. email is all we can do, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's just kind of, you know, just being resourceful about that and being persistent about it. I actually heard the same thing at the Boss Network. I don't know if you know the Boss Network, but Kamika Smith. Yes. Another person I I need to get on the podcast. Yes. 
she's amazing. Um, but she had her anniversary event last week, and a couple of her panelists, phenomenal women, like just global roles, doing all kinds of crazy, amazing things. And even them, even in their roles, they have levels of other people that they want to reach out to and get the same, you know, kind of pushback, like they're, they're not getting responded to right away. Um, and I think it was Selena Johnson's sister. So she manages Selena um, mm-hmm. and just tries to get things pitched for her. And she was describing how she would email this lady. I forgot who it was. It was like some sort of TV exec, I think, for a show and pitch her. But mm-hmm. she pitched her for two years. <laughs> like, mm, like wow. Two years. And it was finally the lady after two years either got around to being able to assess what she was pitching or, you know, time freed up or the, the, the timing was right in terms of what she was, you know, the program she was actually um, pitching to her, mm-hmm. whatever it was, yeah. two years later, you get what I'm saying? So yeah. it's not to say that you're chasing people or you're, you know, whatever. I, I think some people get really caught up with that and kind of get in their feelings, but mm-hmm. it, it, it truly depends on what you want. And if you want it, it can happen. And it, it just may take being a little persistent and a little clever. <laughs> yes, exactly. Absolutely. And I hope that people are writing this down <laughs> to take oh, yeah, it no. and, and put it on like a little post-it note to post at their house as a reminder. If somebody's not responding, they're not avoiding you. It's not anything personal. More than likely, you know, of course, depending on what you said in your first email or text message right. or whatever. But, can, you know. can I add one more thing to that? Actually? Of course. Sorry. I'm very passionate about this topic. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Add away. Because, no, for real, because I, I do think, at least for us as Black people, I think, and I hate overgeneralizations. Trust me, I'm the, the last person I like to do this. But I do think for us specifically, we lose a lot of opportunities because we really don't understand this concept of mm-hmm. not only being persistent, but also kind of being clever in finding ways around situations. Yeah. So mm-hmm. not what I was reading, and I, I like to read a lot of business books and magazines, but it was talking about how some of these largest, the largest companies you hear about, like their, their origin stories, so to speak. And when you hear how like some of these meetings are set up and you, you're like, wait, what? You did what? You know, right. like, mm-hmm. it's just like, I wanted to go to a TED Talk conference. I don't know if you're familiar with TED Talk. Yeah, and, of course. You know, I, I'm relaying a story. He's like, I wanted to go to a TED Talk, but I didn't have the money to go. That's usually another, you know, excuse people use. I don't have enough money. Mm-hmm. So he's like, I didn't have enough money for, to go to the conference, but I thought there was a coffee shop next to the conference. I could at least get in the vicinity of the conference and people who were coming from the conference would go into this coffee shop and buy a muffin and a drink every mm-hmm. single day. So mm-hmm. one day he went into the coffee shop and bought all the muffins. And so, <laughs> and so it's crazy, girl, it gets crazy what people will do. So right. when, people, when people were going to the, you know, um, I think this is actually a story by, dude, I don't know if you're familiar with Rich Roll, but he basically started the super large uh jet company anyways long story oh short, no i'm not i'll have he, to look them up if i'm not jogging my memory i think that was his story but anyways he bought all these muffins so when people came in there asking for muffins the people would be like oh that guy over there bought all the muffins and literally he would get all these conference attendees to to sit and talk to him about mm. various things essentially not having to pay for the conference at all Right, but the full conference experience and even better, Mm -hmm. one-on-one VIP conference experience. Exactly. So that's what I'm saying. When when I mean getting, like, really resourceful, and it's not stalking Mm -hmm. people or anything crazy like that, 
But right. you, there are people out here who will do the extra mile and te- 10 miles on top of it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They will go and yeah. figure out what they need to do. So that was my only little segue. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And I have had a few situations recently that I have personally witnessed the payoff of someone doing something really creative, really resourceful. And my first Mm -hmm. thought was, why the hell didn't I think to do that? (laughs) And that's what I want to get better at is, you know, and not to say that it was even something that it was like a situation where I wanted to do X, whatever they did, and I didn't do it, but it was more so that they did something. I'm like, I wish I had that wherewithal or that spark yeah. in me to do that more often in regards to whatever right. it is that I do want to do and what it is no, I do absolutely. want to think, you know, get more access to. Because I don't know if that's a learned thing or certain people are just born with that innately. But I need I to learn that, it and acquire it more. So <laughs> I, I was going to say, I think it can be both. I think there, there's a range, you know, like everybody can't be like, um, what's the guy, the uh, virgin guy. What's his name? Oh, <laughs> uh, Branson, Richard Branson. Yes. Everybody can't be to the level of Branson where they're lo- they're able to take that level of risk and just literally leave it all out there on the floor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but you can be, you can, you can take on certain aspects of that. Right. And I think you yeah. can work towards that um, in terms of being able to, as I say, risk it all, not necessarily mm-hmm. risk it all going to jail. I think there are various levels of that. I think it's a combination of some people being born with it, like maybe he is, and then others who can definitely learn that behavior mm-hmm. over time. So, because I, I think, can't say I started that way. Yeah, and and not to, you know, look, I could talk about this forever, obviously, but of oh, course yeah. I want to ask you a million <laughs> other things. But just to say, in studying the brain and things like that, I think it's the difference in a lot of people is your propensity to easily get discouraged. And it's kind of mm-hmm. like there are people who, when they get to that wall, they say, oh, well, I guess it's not right. me and I let me turn around or this is not going to happen. And then there's right. another person that is going to start scaling the wall and climb over mm-hmm. it or say, okay, well, I can't get over this wall. Let me go see if there's a window or a door or, you know, right. I can crawl under. And it's like, what is, I would love to know and take a deeper dive into some uh, neuroscience yeah. research on what is the difference in those two people, you know, that's going to, yeah. is it nature or is it nurture on who's going to get to that wall or who's going to send that one email and say, oh, they didn't respond. I guess that's where the conversation ends versus the person right. that's going to say, no, I'm going to send another email and I'm going to show up to the next place they're speaking at and I'm going to hit them mm-hmm. up on LinkedIn and I'm going to do this and I'm, you know, and just really right. be no. persistent about it. And I mean, and honestly, as a neuroscientist, I haven't fully dove into this topic myself, but I think just based on observation, I will say it's probably a little of both. And like mm-hmm. I said, we probably have various levels of either going in either direction. But I would say just using my own experience, 
you know, nature definitely had something to play with it. Like I haven't always been that kind of like, all right, I have no shame. It is what it is. I put that all aside because I'm going to go after what I want kind of person. I was actually very timid. I would say going, Mm. growing up. And Mm -hmm. so I think some of that just came with the territory and the experiences that I've had that just kind of let me put it all out there and say, all right, well, I've already been through some of the worst, you know, (laughs) what it is now, Mm -hmm. you know, so, some of that maybe made you know nature um in terms of like my dad for instance he was a very very hard working person and so i i did have the ability to see him be that type of person my mom like both of them you know coming from caribbean backgrounds or latino mm-hmm. backgrounds like the, we we have that level of work ethic i think just kind of instilled in some ways it's not to say that other people can't build it but i do mm-hmm. think there's a level of that wraps into that the nurture aspect i think is important because i will say and i know you're gonna we're probably gonna segue into this this may be a good segue is just going through the experience of losing my dad in grad school and Mm -hmm. how i particularly tried to focus on getting out of that fog to kind of see other experiences at the time and what i did so mm-hmm. the nurture aspect, I'd say for me, was honestly listening to other people's stories. So I kind of retreated into myself and I would mm-hmm. literally just have the headphones in all day doing my experiments. I didn't talk to anybody, but I would have my headphones in all day listening to various. It wasn't really podcasting big then. It was like 2011 right. but, or you know, mm-hmm. 2012. But it was um, listening to people like um, Tony Robbins, listening to people like this is this is actually Tony Robbins' mentor. Um, what's his name? I'll find it. But um, okay. listening to those people can like literally hours on end just to kind of like drill some of this knowledge into me. Yeah. Kind of how I, um, you know, Jim Rohn. That's the name I was looking for. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's like before Tony Robbins' time, but he, very practical lessons, very good lessons on having grit and how to like, you know, think about life as seasonal changes and how because we have a spring that means we had a winter because we mm-hmm. have a winter that that doesn't mean winter's gonna last always. You're gonna eventually have a summer, and so. I think I think it's a combination to answer your question and obviously not very briefly because I'm not a very brief person. So <laughs> I love it. <laughs> You're thorough. <laughs> no, but honestly, I think it's a little bit of both. I think you can see certain things. You can see some of the experiences of other people, but then also the na- the nurture part of it is how do you um, Im- include these things and these stories and these other people who may be doing it better than you into your environment. Mm-hmm. So it can yeah. sort of kind of rub off on you. Does that make sense? So Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, um, and yes, definitely a, a segue because for um, Global Mental Health Day, you mentioned yeah. you almost did not become Dr. King based on experiencing the passing of your dad. And also you had another experience in that winter, we'll call it, that yeah. also could have changed your trajectory and can you talk a bit about that sure um yeah so i i I shared that story and i've shared it in various ways over the last uh this actually happened in 2012 so i shared it in various ways over over time um but this was the first year where i kind of really spoke to it 
instead of just like, you know, putting up a post or a rest, you know, a rest in peace kind of post. Um, and so it just kind of like jogged my memory of that time of, you know, what was going, what, you know, what was happening at that time and how I kind of worked my way through it and really still, still working my way through it in many ways, right? Grief is not mm-hmm. something that has a hard stop. It, it, it continually happens year after year, just in different ways. <clears throat> but um, I was in my last, this was my last year of graduate school. And um, my dad, he had a, he was a former athlete and so professional athlete. And so he had scheduled a pretty regular or nothing out of the ordinary knee surgery. Knee surgeries are typical for the mm-hmm. most part there, you know, but it's still a surgery. And that's one thing we always have to remember. Um, but the surgery went fine. And it wasn't until the next day when they were getting him up for um, rehab or, to, you know, walk, he collapsed and ended up dying from a pulmonary embolism. Mm. Um, <laughs> I'm not laughing, like laughing. It's more like a laughing to keep from crying. But yeah. say that was like the hardest time would be <laughs> an understatement. Yeah. All right. Give me a minute. <laughs> yes. Take your time. And just imagining, you know, that, as you were saying, you know, a knee surgery being a fairly standard surgery that you're thinking, okay, and the surgery was successful and thinking you're in the clear and then just having something so unexpected. Right. Um, Yeah, it was just, I remember I was in my, I was in the lab and, you know, my mom called and ended up leaving the lab to go to um, meet a friend at the time downtown just to kind of like get out of the lab space and kind of clear my head. And I, at this point, my mom was calling and still letting me know that they were working on it and they were doing CPR and, you know, foreshadowing, I ended up getting a license in emergency medicine technician, mm-hmm. but they, um, you know, they were working on him and it wasn't until I got to Michigan Avenue, I was on Michigan Avenue walking to um, this particular building I was going to and she called and she said that he had passed and I like collapsed in the middle of Michigan Avenue. Mm-hmm. Like, I, don't, I still don't remember who helped me up mm-hmm. or how I got or anything like that. But yeah. It was insane. Um, and it, I think there's a lot of, you know, there's an obvious loss of like I'm not experiencing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry. No, no need to apologize. And not being able to, you know, experience the things that you are planning for your life, right? Like I was 25 um, and, you know, like not being able to see you graduate and not being able to see you get married, like all these things, right? So there's the loss of that, but then there's the loss of just, you know, him. Like he was just like a larger than life type of personality and just Mm -hmm. just so many things. So anyway, that was insane. and then to the other story, that was roughly, so I would, let me, actually, let me stop here. So going through that was really tricky because, you know, grad school, med school, school in general, like, yes, you're able to take breaks when things like that happen. But for me, it was important for me not to take a break because mm. that was the one thing that was like a, like a consistent thing that I could, I could, I could expect every day. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. To keep your felt, routine and keep you kind yeah. of focused and yes. your one. Yeah. 
I was already like, I think at this point, that was like the one moment in my life where I felt like I was questioning everything. I'm like, is there a God? Is there like, is there a heaven? Like I was going through all the questions. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. So I think when you're going through that, it's important to have systems and routines that are very like expected um, mm-hmm. so that some part of your life seems like you can have some control over it. And then that mm-hmm. for me, it was a big control thing. Like I wanted to feel like I was controlling something. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. The so, one you know, thing you could crazy. control. At the the one thing that I definitely could control at the time. Um, mm-hmm. And then going through the, after that, I would say, I mean, obviously you'd have to ask my, my grad school partner if this is really accurate or not, but this is how I view it now. <laughs> you know, I was very um, closed off from many people at, after that for like six, five, six months. It was just kind of into myself, just trying to get my experiments done. I just wanted to focus. Um, mm-hmm. I at that point, and as I shared in the video, I didn't really dive into the detail, but I wasn't considering, you know, therapy or medication or anything like that at that time. I was like, all right, I'm just going to push through by using grad school as that source um, of, you know, whatever. And then six months later, my friend in the lab, so we worked alongside each other. We'd be cracking jokes with each other every day. This is saying the person who you would never expect. And <laughs> I think that's why that conversation always comes up. You never anticipate something like that to happen mm-hmm. um, because they don't come across as what we all expect, uh, you know, someone who's depressed or suicidal um, mm-hmm. or whatever to, to portray. And um, he, I remember going into this lab at the time. So I had started a routine. I'm sorry, this story is taking so long, but I think it's important to, kind of like go through the steps of what was happening. Mm-hmm. I started a routine after my dad where I would go in early every day, stay late every day. Cause I just wanted to get all my experiments out. Like I was coming in at like six in the morning and not leaving till like six in the, you know, six, seven in the evening, just crazy stuff mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, almost slightly man- manic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or just that. being a workaholic and, and yes. totally burying yes. yourself in, in your yes. Exactly. And I remember this particular morning, I chose, for some reason, chose not to go into the lab early. And I don't remember why. Mind you, if we can think about what's being overlapped at the time, too, I was also doing modeling and some borderline acting work. So I was on the set of like various um, TV shows and stuff like that. So I was kind of putting my time anyway. And Mm -hmm. so I am looking back now and I think I may have just chosen to aka sleep in that morning and so I didn't go in early like I normally would mm-hmm. and I got in maybe nine o'clock and they were like oh have you seen you know so-and-so and I'm like nope I haven't seen them and you know he's he was just as on time as I was we would always essentially be there together we'd be the only ones for a while yeah and I'm like no I didn't and we didn't strike it as weird you know whatever we had talked that Friday and you know had cracked jokes about Chicago TV commercials and mm-hmm. <laughs> and it wasn't until I think noon that day where the police came to our lab and was just like, you know, they found him, you know, he had essentially ingested something, a chemical from our lab. It was just insane. Like the whole thing was just insane. And I think after that, I pretty much lost it in many ways where it was the combination of my dad and then him that I was like, what in the heck? hell is happening right the breaking point Mm -hmm. yeah I was like what is going on and so it kind of forced me 
to consider other options like therapy and, and medicine and all that. And I've always been a person who's totally fine with saying I go to therapy or going to therapy. It's never been like this stigmatized thing for me, but I understand mm-hmm. working in that field, it is a highly stigmatized topic, especially yeah. in the community, which it's insane. I don't get it. I get the religious aspect of it. My dad was a pastor. And so many times you want to say, take it all to God. And mm-hmm. that has some, some truth to it for sure. You know, if that's one way that you deal with certain aspects of it, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But coming as a scientist now, I also know that there are benefits to the other portion of the conversation, whether that's therapy or medications for some people who are going through really tough times, you know, so it's, it was that one moment where I was like, all right, I probably have to do this <laughs> for mm-hmm. myself. And you and knew that on your own. You didn't need anyone to tell you. No, 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 no. I definitely knew that on my own. And mm-hmm. and then just like I shared in the video, it's one of those things where you know when you finally need something or you need something extra. And mm-hmm. it's not it's the same conversation we were just having a minute ago about being persistent in it, because mm-hmm. I think some people feel, all right, well, if I don't try one thing or if I don't go to this one therapist and it works right away, then I'm just scratching the whole thing off. Do you do do babies do that when they're trying to walk? You know, like yeah. why do we assume that something as complex as mental health? It's going to be this one trick, one time, you know, I'm just going to give up after one opportunity um, mm-hmm. kind of conversation. It simply isn't. And I had to go through at least three therapists before I kind of found like, okay, I really like this person. They really get where I'm coming from. She was a person of color. So she, and there were lots of things I didn't have to explain. You right. Know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also kind of compounded it at the same time with, with having some therapeutic interventions as well. It wasn't long lasting. I didn't stay on it for like a long time, but I felt at the time it helped me significantly to focus because I was still in grad school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was still, you know, mm-hmm. having to function every day and do my experiments with a clear head and write mm-hmm. my dissertation, you know, yeah. stuff like that. To so, be present. Um, you know, to yeah. be as present in your as head. you can be, as yeah. present as you can be, right? I think mm-hmm. I think there's a level of presence that <laughs> that comes into play when you're really going through a tough time. It's not to mm-hmm. say that you have to be fake present just to kind of yeah. make it seem like you're doing amazing, but you know, present enough to function and get what you need to get done. Um, you know, and like I said, being a mental health professional, I know that there are various levels of that too, but I don't think mm-hmm. we as a community should shy away from therapeutic intervention, um, therapy, those types of things in addition to prayer and, you know, ginger ale or whatever. Right. Yeah. They can complement, <laughs> they can coexist. They don't have to be mutually exclusive right. that if you do one, you can't do the other. And I think that that's right. where the, the issue comes in like, okay, well, I spoke to this person, but has your situation or circumstance or mental health state improved? And if not, then you may need to do something different, you know, and and add something else to the equation that, you know, just like if you're on a a quote unquote diet, just because you're eating better, you might not be seeing the physical results or the health results that you you might have to incorporate, you know, some physical activity, or if you just do physical activity, but don't change your, you know, diet, then you might not 
not see the results. You have to do both, <laughs> you know? So it's like, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think if I, what I wish for people is to realize that their entire lives, including mental health, you know, their careers, everything, it's all based on a team approach. And mm-hmm. you, I think if we look at it like that, then it doesn't become one so overwhelming that, Oh, I got to do everything myself. Um, but also it kind of opens up your eyes, eyes to like figuring out, okay, if we're thinking of a team approach, just like we look at the, the playoffs and things like that every year, who do I want on my team to help me get through whatever it is that I'm working on? Right. So right. just as if, you know, you're, if you're diagnosed with something, you have a team of doctors coming from various fields to help you with the various aspects of your, you know, your disease. And mm-hmm. it's the same thing. You know, you're building a business, you've got to have a team. You're trying to get to a place where you're mentally and physically fit. You've got to build a team. You know, everything really kind of centers on who do I want to put on my team that's going to really, you know, you know, help me in these various aspects that I want to get help in. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the way I look at it. And you got to find the best. Just like yeah. the NBA team, you see them fluctuating all the time because maybe they don't fit. <laughs> you know, the players on the team or you know yeah. I gotta have sports reference because naturally um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's not to say that the team isn't going to survive in the end they're going to eventually find that right fit and it's the same for you you just got to find those right fits mm-hmm. and would you say that it was the therapy that helped you to continue on your path or what other things were you doing in conjunction with the therapy, keeping a set schedule that really helped you to continue on your path to become Dr. King? Yeah. After so being I would through, say, going through so much personally and, you know, with the initial struggles in grad school and being discouraged and, you know, all of the things that could have prevented you from being who you are today. Sure. I think, um, yes, it, to, to that point, it, just like I was describing a minute ago, looking at my life as a team approach. So I had therapy. I did have therapeutic interventions. I, I wasn't great at reaching out to others. And I think some people are better at this than, than, than I am. And you may be good at it. And that's something you can, you can use as a strength. But I didn't really talk a lot to friends or talk a lot to family or anything like that. So that's something that I had to progressively work on over time. But mm-hmm. other things for me, knowing myself, and I think you got to know yourself in these aspects. Yeah. For me, it was important for me to kind of not become a recluse, but to kind of come into myself a little bit and figure out, okay, what do I need right now that allows for me to think bigger than this moment? And so to the, I kind of picked up the same habit of listening to, you know, I would put my headphones in daily, kind of zone out, um, Put, put on these, these podcasts, you know, they weren't really podcasts at the time, but, you know, put on these YouTube videos, really YouTube videos mm-hmm. at the time of old Jim Rohn talks, of old Tony Robbins talks, of Les Brown, whoever those people were that were kind of speaking more positivity mm-hmm. into my mind at the time kind of helped to negate some of the negativity that was obviously flowing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, what is possible for myself. I understand that this moment feels incredibly overwhelming, but, you know, who can I listen to that's living a totally different life for me right now? And how did they do it? You know, mm-hmm. listen to stories like um, Branson's story and Steve Jobs, one of my favorites, you know, 
with books, with events, with with podcasts, with YouTube videos. I, I inundated myself. When you mm-hmm. think about how many negative messages we get on a daily basis, yeah, like from people, from news, from life, from whatever social media, about, mm-hmm. social media. Good lord, you know, like <laughs> when, we, <laughs> when we think about that, it it does it almost it's almost like I was medicating myself with positive messages because I felt like I just needed to do something to cancel out some of the negative that I was getting. So Mm -hmm. I always get really antsy when people say, Oh, you think you can just listen to positive messages all day and that's going to work. My thing is, it's not to say that it's a cure off or anything. It's just because I know it's just a numbers game for me because I know I'm getting 50,000 negative messages a day. I'm going to make sure I put in 50,000 positive messages. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's all a numbers game. Um, Mm So, yeah, and just, you know, being a neuroscientist, I know that when you hear various messages over and over and over and over, we we think those things and they actually become physical features within our brain. The chemicals are there to kind of like, uh, what's the word I would describe? They're chemicals that will um, reinforce those messages that we tell ourselves. And so it's a, it's a, people think it's just a soft, thought and it's just a thing that's flowing these things really do have biological components to them mm-hmm. and so like I said it's a numbers game for me if I know I'm going to get 10,000 negative thoughts today I really want to find a way that I could put in 12,000 positive thoughts just so I end my day at least to me on a positive note I love that yeah mm-hmm. so I did a lot of that at the time too just just putting different things on my team, tried my best to exercise as much as I could, tried my best to work on my diet. That's huge. Tried Mm -hmm. my best to sleep as much as I could. Of course, therapy can kind of interrupt your sleep patterns, but all these basic things that seem super basic are actually incredibly helpful for your mood um, Mm -hmm. and just, you know, your well-being. And so I just tried to, you know, pull on all the things that I knew, you know, like Mm -hmm. didn't have to be anything genius about it. It was just, how can I improve my total life and what's going to help me do that? That was it. Mm -hmm. And so now, Fast forward to present day. Can you tell us a bit about what your daily work is dedicated to and also how you plan to become a social entrepreneur in the tech arena very soon? Can you give us a preview? (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny because I'm like, do you ever sit down, girl? (laughs) And the answer is no, I already know. (laughs) No. Mm-hmm. And, and, and to that point, it's not to say, and I, I want to give this disclaimer, it's not to say that everybody has to do that or everybody has to, you know, I think sometimes when we listen to the stories of others, it's like, it makes you feel some type of way because it's like, oh, well, I'm not doing that or I'm not. Mm-hmm. It's not to say that this is a message for what you must do. It's just, I think as as an individual, you have to find what makes you excited. Yeah. Because that's the only thing that kind of keeps you going in this world of like crazy negativity, you know, you just got to find those things that are like really exciting for you and just do them as much as you can, period, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, in my, um, in my current life, um, (laughs) (laughs) I, 
I have um, I have a double license in emergency medical technician, and uh, it's from Missouri and Illinois. I was riding on the ambulances in Illinois, which is crazy land. Mm-hmm. I can imagine. <laughs> um, I don't wish that on anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I, I did that for a while, and I don't really do that anymore. I just I just don't have the time. But in my current role, I am a medical affairs professional. Essentially, my exact title is a medical science liaison. And I work within my company's neuroscience division. Mm-hmm. And what that really means in, like, I always try to break it down to the, the nitty gritty. I'm basically a walking, talking encyclopedia. That's it. Okay. And that's probably why my, my answers are like 15,000 minutes. <laughs> I don't know thorough. how to you know some stuff. <laughs> I know a few things. Um, but yeah, it's essentially I have a four state territory that I cover. My previous role, I had half the U.S., but thank God I don't do that anymore. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but within this territory, I basically manage the medical strategy for our therapies. And so we have a portfolio that I support right now is primarily with multiple sclerosis. And Mm -hmm. so within that four state territory, I have about mm, 50 to 60 physician neurologist um, clients who I meet with on a regular basis and just kind of go through the data with them, share the information. I'm essentially a disease state expert is what they'll call me. Um, And when you think about it, it makes perfect sense because these physicians, you know, they are literally in clinics from day in to day out. They're seeing patients all day. They don't have time to mm-hmm. stay up on the latest in data, stay up on the latest of what happened at medical conferences, understand some of the safety aspects of the therapies that they're using. And so they'll ask us those medical questions for, um, you know, particular patient populations. So, yeah, essentially, long story short, I'm a walking, talking encyclopedia, and I help them <laughs> stay on top of things. <laughs> that's pretty much, like, that's the easiest way I can describe it, because we have so many things tucked into our role that it would just get really exhausting <laughs> to mm-hmm. talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, it's a really cool role, and I would say here, we don't know, at least for people of color, I do feel that these types of roles aren't necessarily discussed as often. Um, yeah. And I think it's super unfortunate. I'm, I'm fortunate to work for a company that is like predominantly women and we actually have a lot of people of color and then like, it's an nice. amazing company. Yes, it's like amazing. Um, but that doesn't happen very often. And when you think about things like gender parity or, um, you know, salary, you know, differences between men and women. Mm-hmm. I would say this particular field is one of the only fields that 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 gender that uh salary parity is not very wide. Oh, so a good. Man, I know, right? Uh-huh, even better. <laughs> yes, just as much as a woman and I work with so many amazing women who have families. They're like pregnant. They're getting babies. They're making money. I'm like, oh, uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I see, what I, I see what's happening here. So, you know, I, I wish, and I'm trying to find ways to talk more about this particular role, but there are various roles within medical affairs that I think would be really good for our people to add our input into because mm-hmm. we have different experiences mm-hmm. coming from the healthcare landscape as, as African Americans or Afro Latinos or whatever. We just have yeah. different experiences. Um, Absolutely. Can, you know, add to the conversation. And um, I, where I was going with that is 
it's just an amazing role that I don't think we talk about enough. Usually when you're like, all right, I want to go into STEM or I want to go into medicine specifically. I want to be a doctor. I want to be an MD. But everybody is not doctor material. I'm going to just be real. Like, uh-huh. you know? uh-huh. And I knew I was not trying to be somebody's doctor in the hospital because I don't need you calling me at four in the morning. I'm not coming. Like, <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not gonna happen so you got to know your personality too and what you know what you want to do you want to be in that position where you can have really great scientific discussions and nerd out you know mm-hmm. but if you know about yourself that you don't like anybody calling you at two in the morning then don't go to med school you know what i mean so mm-hmm. there are these other things that we can do and participate in that i don't think very many people know about. And I, I just feel, think the field of medical affairs broadly is one of those areas where we could really, you know, kill it and boss up and make the money we want to make and do what we got to do, but still be in a position where we control our lives a little bit more. We control and manage our time. I work from home when I'm not traveling, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So you can yeah. manage a family and, and those types of things. Work-life balance, which people don't consider when they take up a yes. field in most cases, yes. you know, what that work-life yes. balance is going to look like and what type of work-life balance you actually want or need compared to Absolutely. what that, that career field can actually offer. Absolutely. And like when I say I shut my phone down on Friday, don't call me. <laughs> nobody, <laughs> nobody texts for me till Monday at nine, unless we're literally going through some random emergency. Like I don't work in the emergency room. Why are you calling me at Saturday at 10 a.m.? Right. It can't be an emergency. It, it can't be, you know. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's a matter of learning about yourself and learning about these roles and what is really expected of you once you get into these roles and then maneuvering accordingly. Like everybody does have to be an MD. Yeah. That's not the only way you can, you know, support yourself and have a family and do all these other things. You got to figure out what you like and and what fits that space, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And also just to add that as the the world is evolving, new and, and different roles are becoming available roles and positions and titles that may not have existed 10 years ago or when you first entered school. So, you know, just having to kind of stay up on that and, and look into what is possible and what is available. And sometimes it may be a position that you might have to even create for yourself. Absolutely. And I can't stress that enough. And I think people underutilize the one social network that I think is most relevant in the professional world, LinkedIn. Like I will forever be a champion of LinkedIn. Every single one of my, you know, top roles have been procured through LinkedIn. And I think that's another Yes. And I think that's another way to like you said, explore what are these other roles that, you know, I may not know currently exist and who can I talk to? I did so many informational interviews when I was first trying to break into this industry, because it can be a little difficult, especially since we're so like, you know, insular and we, we kind of focus on ourselves a little bit. Yeah. But I, when I say I call email people real quick, mm. <laughs> I call email them, I call email them, I call, you know, like whatever. And yeah. that's how I found the information about it. And I will forever always be open to sharing that with other people because it, 
there's so many other things that people can be doing. And, and like you said, these fields are out there. They're being created every day. Um, like you said, sometimes it may be a, a matter of you being a little more um, proactive to figuring out how you can merge certain fields. Emerging fields today is not as u- unique of a concept as it was 10 years ago. So yeah. if you notice, my title had a liaison in it, and that means my title is essentially a merged role. I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm connecting dots. I'm, I'm kind of in various cross-functional teams, you know, so it's, it, that's the name of the game today. It's really about how do you merge the skills you had before to apply it to this thing over here. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, yeah, it's amazing. But um, yeah, LinkedIn. I always do plug LinkedIn. Sounds like I need an endorsement, right? Yeah. Okay, like an endorsement. You're not no, getting honestly. paid right now, but you'll get it. You'll accept a check. <laughs> I, I will accept. I will send that invoice. But um, yeah. Um, so your last point. Um, I think for me, getting into various spaces where I'm not used to being in is just like a huge driver for me. I think some people like to kind of drill down and specialize. And I've done a version of that, obviously, with my degree and all that, all that other stuff. But I think it's important when you're growing to get into spaces where you're uncomfortable. If you start to be the person in the room that knows everything, then you, my friend, are in the wrong room. And I mean that with all sincerity. You know, there's one thing to go to industry events and to kind of stay on top of your field. There's another thing to only do that and only be in those types of spaces where it confirms what you already believe. Mm-hmm. about yourself and, and whatever it is you're doing. And so that's why I'm kind of launching myself into this, you know, new arena coming up here because I don't technically have to, right? You don't have to do anything. Like there's no need for me to run off and start anything or do anything. But these are other passions that I felt like I've always had within myself, both social entrepreneurship and tech. And um, for people who don't know what social entrepreneurship is, if you think of the brand Tom Shoes, um, Mm -hmm. that is a social enterprise in terms of they may have a product. So they use business models to solve social problems. Yeah. Um, And they have a double bottom line. They're obviously looking at the regular bottom line, how much money we're making, but they're also looking at how much social impact we're making based on, you know, Tom's, he started with shoes and he went to vision and he went to some other things. So um, it's just this idea of how do you use business to solve some of the world's problems. And Mm -hmm. I've always been very intrigued by that. I, I like business. I love making an impact in any way I can. And then I, for people who don't know, I'm actually a huge techie. So oh, <laughs> I love okay. Yeah. I like if Steve Jobs is alive, I'd probably stalk him, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's neither here nor there. But uh, I, I love Steve Jobs and like the whole story of how Apple came to be and just those types of stories where it's almost, unima- it's like unimaginable, right? You know, mm-hmm. those yeah. brands that are just, killing it and you're like well how did that that came out of a garage well how do they do that you know yeah so mm-hmm. I, I don't know I think I'm just a naturally curious person and I think tech allows you to be curious because there's so many there's so many avenues and ways to apply it mm-hmm. um and so that's my plans and I can't share everything unfortunately because honestly mm-hmm. I'm still working out some of the details myself but just know <laughs> that it'll have <laughs> it'll have artificial intelligence and machine learning involved. 
Okay. All right. Well, we will stay tuned in and on the lookout. And before I let you go, um, I have Lonnie's last five, last five questions that I ask everyone that comes on the show and just whatever comes to mind, the first answer you think of. Okay. So the first question is, what is your favorite act of self-care? Ooh, um, I love, um, well, there's two. I love reading a lot. I read a lot. Um, so anything that relates to like knowledge and, you know, learning something I didn't know before and just being able to, you know, kind of build on what I know and maybe what I don't know, that's huge for me. And I look at that as self-care because I think if you're not growing, um, mm-hmm. you're, yeah, it's, it's, we just live in too fast of a world to not be growing, you know, so mm-hmm. that's self-care for me. Um, but when it comes to like the traditional self-care, I would say massages. I will, I will pay anybody to sit and massage me for 24 hours a day. I really would. <laughs> <laughs> and whoever future boo is, just know that that's going to be your number one job. I don't need you for anything else. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Look, see, the <laughs> people yeah. are taking notes now. When you start getting some emails, oh, some applications submitted, saying, I'll sign up to massage y'all day. Good no Lord. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot be a uh, listen. Well, just so you know, it is on the list. <laughs> okay. Okay. And now, since you put those two things out there, I have to add, make an addendum question uh-huh. one, one section a what's your favorite book that you would recommend to anyone oh wants to be better good lord i have so many oh you know actually can i do a tie because of course i can never just say one thing (laughs) okay um because I'm coming from this background of like, I really want to get into tech and I just love inspirational people. Mm-hmm. Of course, I would just always say the Steve Jobs book, the one that was by Walter Isaacson. Okay. I read it from front cover to back cover and it's like 500 pages. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like two days. I was, I was super thirsty, girl. Oh, in um, two but, days. Dang. Yeah. No, I just like to read. It's just one of those things. But mm-hmm. the reason why I like this book is just because it gives like a historical, like, uh, you know, it kind of goes through his history of like how it started and some of the ups and downs he had. And even if you're not in business or you don't plan to be in business, it's still just a really good book about life, right? Like, yeah. Life is, it's ups and downs. It is what it is. Like, there's, I don't know why people are trying to get it to just be up all the time. It's really weird. Right, <laughs> right. Like mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's not natural. <laughs> it's not natural. It's not natural at all. Um, but yes, I love that book for that purpose. And then um, the, I actually promoted this book recently on my Instagram. It was the book by Nike founder, Phil Knight, Shoe Dog. Okay. Um, it's got a similar kind of idea to it. Obviously, both of those are like more centered around business, but it's also a book about life. Like he talks about how he lost people during that time. He talks about his persistence, you know, like things we were talking about at the beginning of the call, like how he just had to keep going back and, you know, just hitting his head against the ground basically with certain people that were telling him no. So this is a really good book on how to like make it past adversity. Cause like, if you, when you read that book, you're like, Ooh, Nike should not have happened. <laughs> like, this, is <laughs> right. not, this is not a straight line at all. You know, it's crazy. So 
I think I like books like that where they kind of point out the ups and downs and the fact mm-hmm. that there are people who have gone through those ups and downs, probably worse than you, and mm-hmm. still made it out on the other side, incredibly successful and happier and, you know, whatever, whatever it is you're looking for as far as the end goal. But I like yeah. books like that. Mm-hmm. Those might be good. <laughs> I like books like that too. So I'm putting those on the list. Yeah, I would start with Shoe Dog first. It's a little bit more in a story format. And so that was a little bit more digestible and it's shorter. And then okay. maybe work into the Shoe Dog one. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, what's something you wish you were better at? Oh, man, I wish I was better at um, keeping in contact with people. I would say this is definitely one of my weak areas. Mm-hmm. I Not in contact in terms of like, you know, whether it's work or something like that. But I think sometimes personal relationships can be really challenging when you're just moving, moving, moving. And yeah. you know, you've got all this going on. And just personal relationships in general, I think, can be really tricky. Um, mm-hmm. Because you don't want to tell people, oh, I'm busy all the time. Or, oh, I don't have time for, for you know to talk today about this particular topic. You want to mm-hmm. be as human as you can be. But yeah. sometimes it's just not conducive when you're like literally I'm on a plane every week you know what I mean and it's just like right. if I physically can't talk to you I literally can't talk to you like I'm not making this up <laughs> right mm-hmm. or you I know? can't make your birthday dinner and I yeah. can't make this and people start to get offended well oh, man listen if I had a dollar I would be retired right now <laughs> <laughs> who gotten offended because like I couldn't come through for something or the other and I always try to tell people this it sounds really annoying but it's the truth like I, I the way I lead my life is I know myself right like I try to my best to know myself and in that I will tell you like I cannot I don't do well with last minute things right so mm-hmm. if you know that I set a schedule for almost two months out you got something going on. Can you please, at your very, like, at your best, just tell me <laughs> as early as you possibly can tell me? Because that mm-hmm. just increases the likelihood that I can actually do it. You know what I mean? It's not to say that I don't want to. It's just if I don't have time or I'm physically not able to clone myself to be there two places at once, I just can't. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, yeah, people do get really offended. And on some levels, I get it. Like, you want people to, like, be there and, you know, whatnot. But on the other hand, it's like, I want to be around people who get that aspect of me too and realize that I'm working on it and don't get in their feelings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. What is your definition of success? Ooh, it's a very personalized definition. I think, I think some people like to stick um, certain things at the top and make it make sense for everyone. Like some people view success as money some people, you know, family relationships, having children, whatever. I feel like that's just a very personalized definition, you know, and I think that's important to note whenever I'm describing or you hear other people describing what they view as success. It's personal to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and you got to find what's personal to you and make that make sense. Um, for me, I, I really like the idea of being, um, I would say making an impact for sure, but what I mean by that in a much more tangible way is one, truly impacting people's lives in various ways. And I, I lose my family. I want to make sure that they're taken care of, whether that's financially, you know, whatever. So building a legacy, building generational wealth. Like I'm really sick of the, the story in black communities where we, you know, we don't leave anything behind for our kids to build on. I think it's mm-hmm. just a, I think it's a played out story. 
today yeah. and it's just not necessary anymore. Like we have lots of opportunities. We've got to figure this out as a community. And so, um, like I said, so to me, you know, being able to be in a position where I'm helping to bring that conversation along and helping to make impact on really our generation is kind of just what I view as success. And so, you know, other things could be wrapped into that, you know, money, you know, time, family, all that could be wrapped into that. But I think the ultimate picture is just how do I really make an impact for the, the generation coming behind me? Awesome. What is a quote or piece of advice that you live by? Ooh. Ooh, that's a good one, Lonnie. Oh my goodness. Thank um, you. <laughs> <laughs> I love you so I I um oh man, there's so many. This is tough. Um I think if I were to look at my life, I would just say I like to live by the mantra of being very disruptive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that sounds crazy, but I think it was a it may have been a Jim Rohn talk that I was li- I was listening to this and oh, no, I think it was um what's that gentleman that passed away like a few years ago? So he was kind of in that same self help space, but he did it from yeah. Oh, uh, I need to take some game code, Lonnie. You got me out here doing mem- memory quizzes this morning. Uh, <laughs> um, I can't remember his name, but anyways, long story short, he kind of pointed out how he wanted to be a very disruptive force in whatever space he was in. And I don't mean disruptive in the sense of like, Oh, you just going out here making a mess and, you know, being aggressive and doing all that. But whatever space that I'm in, I want to be able to find a way to make it my own and kind of shake things up and change perceptions and, and that sort of thing. Um, You know, like when I was in grad school, not seeing so many women of color finishing grad school was a disruptive thing, right? You know, you want to be and put yourself in positions where you make people challenge the status quo kind of thing. So it's not quite a quote. It's just more of a, the mantra that I live by. I really like to be a disruptive, positively disruptive force in whatever situation that I'm in. Awesome. And the, the final question I think you've pretty much answered it but if there's anything you want to add to it what do you want to be remembered for Ooh, this is a good one um I think I want to be remembered for being helpful in whatever sense of that word it, you know whatever that means to the person sharing it at the time I want it to be very visible and very tangible to them that I had helped them in some way. Like I just remember watching or listening to the people who were coming out and speaking at my dad's funeral. Mm-hmm. And it was just insane. Like, you know, all the people who said, Oh my gosh, your dad helped me when I didn't have any food. Oh my gosh, your dad helped me when, you know, he gave me his shoes, like literally gave me his shoes when he saw that I didn't have any shoes to put on, you know, so like that type of impact, I think is just something that I would like to take from my, like, I would like to have for myself, you know, like it may not be financial. It may not be, you know, whatever, but like, I want to be able to be in a position where people have seen, have been seen by me. You know what I mean? When they feel seen. Um, yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, whatever impact that is for the person telling the story at the time, I just want to know that I was helpful to them um, mm-hmm. while I was here. So that, that's my final, <laughs> final answer. <Alex. laughs> 
Well, Natalie, this has been a wonderful conversation. I know. I learned so much about you. Yes. Thank you. Look, thank you so much for taking the time, for being transparent, for sharing. And we didn't get to talk about your hair. So if you're listening, if you aren't already following Natalie on social media, if you don't know who she is, she has amazing hair. In addition to all these other things, we've talked about how awesome she is. She has amazing hair. Um, We shared curl stories a couple of years back. And I remember when we talked about that, your hair was above your shoulders or to your shoulders. Now it's like to your butt. <laughs> and like and that was just last month. No, <laughs> that we had. <laughs> yeah, <it does. laughs> she she so graciously shares some hair tips as well on her social media pages. So you can, if you too want to have great hair, um, you can take some advice. I've recently been inspired to finally start doing some weekly deep conditioners, thanks to you, because I had been neglecting that. Yes, um, Lord. I live by <laughs> if everybody could at least instill that one tip, I think we would all we would all make it. Yes. <laughs> so I'm starting there. I'm starting there. Okay. Um, because I don't know if you know because I've been not posting a lot of pictures on social media, but I cut all my hair off. And so I'm, yeah. oh my God. So I'm starting that's over. Right <laughs> It's so cute on you, though. Everybody can't pull that off. You know, thank you. Cannot pull that off. Thank (laughs) you. Well, look, that's that's part of why I haven't been posting pictures because I'm like over the short hair and I'm like, I'm not posting any selfies or anything until my hair gets back to the length that it was. So it might be a little while now. (laughs) You know know what? Honestly, so there's two things. I'm going to finish with this. The fact that you are incorporating deep conditions now, I think that's an excellent start. If I were to say there was like one thing that people should really just do regularly out of all the 15 million tips on the internet, I would Mm -hmm. definitely say the deep condition is definitely one of those that if you can get that in, I think you're, you're ahead of the game. And then I'm going to be real. Like I'm, I'm super salty that I didn't take more pictures when I was going through my transitioning phase because I felt the same way. I was like, Oh, nobody want to see this. (laughs) It was crazy. I got like 15 textures. It's like looking crazy. These curl pads, I have no curl pad and my curl pad was trash at the time. And I was Mm -hmm. like, Nope, not taking any pictures. But now I'm like, Oh, I totally wish I would have taken more pictures because people would get it. You know, they'd get it a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, you never know. The way I look at it is like you never know how other people are going to be viewing your story as you mm-hmm. go through the journey. So it's not to say that you got to post a selfie every day, but I would admire yeah. mm-hmm. to maybe post one every couple of weeks just because I think it's helpful for other people, like maybe going through it at the same time. Encourage them along yeah, their journey. Because right. mm-hmm. you got a lot of people who love you, Lottie. Like they all on your page, you know, shouting out. Yeah, you, you never know who's like in that mix who's like also going through the exact same thing and they're like, no, I don't want to, you know, they don't feel beautiful or they don't feel yeah. that the transition phase is for them or whatever. And so mm-hmm. I don't know, I will definitely just say if I could go back, I think I would post a few more pictures when I looked okay. like, like I got my perfect best or whatever, you know? Yeah. And look, because of course I am taking pictures, so I do have some I could you post, have, you but I'm just looking at them, looking like, oh, no. 
this picture will never see the light of day. <laughs> I can't. Look, you know, sometimes what I do, I'll post it in a story too, because you know, it's a story. To yes, <laughs> right. It'll be gone in 24 hours, right? So that's yeah, I'm gonna get this for 24. Hours. <laughs> <laughs> Take it while get yeah. it while you can. Get it while it's hot. <laughs> of course, exactly. But yeah, I mean, obviously, if you don't want to, like at the at the very least, you are taking the pictures. Like I said, I barely took pictures, let alone posted them, and now I'm like, ugh, super salty because I have nothing to show. <laughs> Look, well, I might do it. I might do it on the back end once I've come out. That's what I mean. You know, yeah. Because I like to have my testimony. <laughs> and then be like, and now I'll show y'all a flashback scene. I'm here now. Focus on where I'm at now, but I'll show y'all I where I came it. from. I get <laughs> it, girl. From I the bottom. It. Now, now we here. <laughs> oh, I got to post in my bottom picture soon. I'm like, oh, I love that. Ooh, that was, it was real. <laughs> oh, my goodness well thank you natalie look if now that everybody's really curious about you and and this hair and everything that um talked about in this conversation how can they get in touch with you how can they find you how can they book you to speak at their school or their community or their group or their organization how can they reach you yes um so i am obviously on instagram as at Neuronat26, that's neuro, like neuroscience, Neuronat26. I'm also on Facebook. I have to admit I'm not as <laughs> um, active on there as I could be. But um, in terms of directly reaching out to me, my email is scientific at gmail.com. But one of those sources, you should be able to reach me if you're trying to, you know, I, I do speak for various events and I try to at least get in front of the kiddos or something like that to be able to share, not even just on my journey, but just in terms of like helping them figure out how to get past self-esteem type issues. And like I said, it's all, it's a journey for all of us, right? So I do mm-hmm. like to chat about that as much as I can. I'm going to put all this in the show notes. So if someone wasn't able to write it down as you were giving it out, I'll have that there. And once again, thank you so very, very, very much. I appreciate you for all that you do with the work in the world, but also for the Um, wonderful woman that you are as well and for sharing your journey. Uh, I just love you, Lonnie. Thank you so much for having me on your show. This is this has been fun. I really enjoyed the conversation. Sometimes it's important to just kind of like hear yourself talk it out too, you know. Yes, so, and remind like, yourself uh, too. It's yeah, a, it's a good reminder of like not only what you have done, what you have overcome, but why you're doing what you're doing. You know, to to yeah, re- refocus and re inspire yourself too. Sometimes, right. No, and you, sorry, I don't mean to string this along, but you definitely make a good point about that because I think some people get really weary in their journeys with, you know, life and professional life, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it's important to talk it out with people because you can hear and reinvigorate yourself to the to the mission. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, yes. <laughs> it's like, this is doing this. This is why, you know, this is why this is important. And sometimes it's, 
it's just good to hear it coming from other people and, and bouncing ideas off of other people. So I appreciate sure. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Lonnie Swain Show podcast. Please visit my website, LonnieSwain.com, where you can sign up for my monthly newsletter, check out companion blog posts, show notes, and lots of other cool stuff. This podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Buzzsprout, CastBox, Anchor, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and my website. I love and appreciate all of your feedback, so don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with at least three people who you think would enjoy it too or benefit from the information. Until next time, go where you are celebrated and appreciated, not just tolerated. Talk to you soon.